Well, we are approaching the end of our current series that we've been going through, series called We Don't Talk About That, and uh, through the last part of 1 Corinthians. So we're in chapter 16 today. We'll dive in there here in just a moment. But it's been interesting to look at a few topics that we don't talk about for a variety of reasons. You know, sometimes it's because they're controversial. And uh, we maybe are a little hesitant to, to jump into them for that reason. Uh, sometimes it may just be things that just don't come up very often in conversation, so we don't talk about them. Uh, sometimes it, it, it is because we're not real sure where we stand on certain things, and it's, you know, we, we want to have absolute clarity, and, and so we avoid those things that are a little bit more gray uh, types of areas. Or sometimes, there are things that we just don't talk about because it makes us very uncomfortable to talk about them. And uh, really, that's kind of uh, along the lines of where we'll be today in 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, in just a moment, we'll open our, our, our Bibles there. Uh, but, you know, thinking about, here's when it comes to, to conversations that make us uncomfortable, usually they do for one of two reasons or even a combination of both. Number one, either it has something to do with the, the relationship between the two people having a conversation. That has a lot to do with your comfort level, what your relationship is like. Uh, the second thing is, sometimes it, it, it just has to do with the topic being discussed. So, that, that it, and really, it's usually a mixture of both, the topic being discussed and the dynamic of the relationship. Let me give you an example. Two things that they say make people very uncomfortable to talk about. What are they? Religion and politics, right? God and politics. So those are the two things that make people very uncomfortable. Well, let's think about that. Think about uh, the comfort level of that conversation, how much that depends on the person that you are having that conversation with. Let's say you're having a conversation, which, by the way, most people say religion and politics. I'm not a fan at all of having a conversation about religion because religion is all about uh, things that we do to try to work our way to God, whether that be rituals or uh, certain requirements that we have. And so I am not a fan at all of religion. Uh, our faith is about a relationship with God, not about religion. It's not about things that we do in order to appease God or become acceptable to God. It's about having a relationship with God through Christ. And that is a totally, completely different dynamic. And so um, that's the direction that I would want a conversation to go. And by the way, would say that let me just encourage you to evaluate, is that the way you view God? Is it a relationship that you have with God or more something that is, these are rituals that I follow or things that I do or my effort to make my way to God? But let's just go even on relationship with God. We're going to have a conversation about who God is. That can be very awkward at times, right? Especially if you're having that conversation with someone who doesn't share your faith. And you're attempting to share your faith with that individual. They may have a different set of beliefs. And so you're trying to have a conversation, and that can be very uncomfortable. That can be very awkward, especially if the person doesn't really seem very receptive or you're thinking, you know, they, they really don't know me. They don't know my heart. They may, and all this stuff runs through our heads, right? Am I going to be viewed as somebody who's judgmental? Am I, are they just going to think that I'm a hateful person? And, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes through our heads. And so that's something, by the way, I've talked about a lot in, in months past. This is a big thing that God continues to work on me in this area of just being bold and having conversations about God with 
people, whoever that may be. And yet I still worry about those things, and I'm working on that and trying to release those things and let them go and, and realize, you know, I know it all up here. It's not my issue, and I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to please God. I mean, I know all that stuff, but still, actually doing that and being bold and having conversations with people about our faith can be very uncomfortable. But it depends on the dynamic of the relationship that we're, that, that we're um, with that individual, right? Because I can tell you that I could have a conversation about God with any person sitting in this room right now, and probably with a whole lot of you that may be watching online right now, it wouldn't be uncomfortable at all. Because if the conversation is with somebody who's on the same page, right? We have, we have similar beliefs and we're sharing something that is, is most important part of our life together. It's not as awkward. Same thing. So that's the God we think about politics. Same thing is true. You have a conversation with somebody who is on a different page than you are politically. That can get very uncomfortable sometimes. And maybe you have different viewpoints and it can create tension. But if you have that conversation with somebody and you're kind of on the same page, it's a little bit different. And so my, my point in all that is the comfort level of our conversations a lot of times depends on the relationship. It depends somewhat on the topic we're discussing. But if you have the right relationship with somebody, you ought to be able to talk about anything. And we see a great example of that today. Here's our topic today. The title of today's message is, Can We Stop Talking About Giving? which is actually something we don't do very often here, but it is important from time to time to do that, especially when it's in our text as it is today, 1 Corinthians 16. We can get really uncomfortable talking about giving, and that's one of those areas where you know, our defenses often go up. But here's the argument that I would make. If we are on the same page in our relationship with God. We are part of the same family. We have the same desire to grow in our faith. We're trying to, to accomplish the same things. We want to see you know, God's word spread. We want to see people's lives impacted. Those kinds of things. Why should it be awkward? I, I, I get it for those that maybe you know, are, are outside the church. Or don't have a relationship with God. Or I even get it for those that may be guests of our church. And I always cringe a little bit. It's like, oh, you're going to come for the first time on Giving Sunday. You know? And I, I, know, I know that that can be a little uncomfortable. I get that. Um, but for those that are part of the family, it really shouldn't be an uncomfortable conversation. And for that matter, those that are even part of God's family, that are part of the family, it shouldn't be an uncomfortable conversation there either. Because it's just, it's just part of what we see uh, throughout scripture. So let's open our Bibles, if we could, today to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, and we are going to begin uh, in verse 1 and read through verse 4 today. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So you see what's going on here in this passage, right? The, the, the people Paul is instructing them, and by the way, he is when it says now about the collection for the Lord's people, most likely what is happening here is he is answering a question that they had already asked. 
So they know about this. They're aware of it. They probably have asked a specific question about how to go about it. And so he is responding to that question and answering them. And he's talking about this offering that is being taken up for the church in Jerusalem. This is not an uncommon thing at all uh, for the church to do where they would set aside a certain amount of money to help other believers in times of need. We see that throughout the book of Acts repeatedly uh, where other, certain believers are helping other believers and those kinds of things. So that, that is a real common thing there. And, and in Jerusalem in particular, there was a unique need at this time. We might get a little bit of insight into why there would be some specific needs there in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, for example we learn that the church in Jerusalem had a significant number of widows that they were supporting. In fact, there was an issue that came up with some of the widows being overlooked and the daily distribution of food. And so there was, that was a significant thing. Uh, we find out in Acts chapter 11 that there was a famine that spread across the entire Roman world, which certainly would have included the Jerusalem area. We know from church history that persecution began in this area uh, not, not too long after the birth of the church. And so there's a lot going on here. There are a lot of reasons why the church and the people uh, there in Jerusalem needed a little extra help. And so Paul is instructing them to, to help out. Now, it's, it's always cool when you can tie something like that, you see your giving meeting a specific need. And that's really the first thing I want to point out. And I know that what they were doing here, there's some differences about their offerings and what they're going about. But I think there's some principles that we can apply in our own giving today as well. And the first one is just simply that, that they gave to meet real needs. That is a part of, and we'll talk about this in a minute, it's not the primary motivation, but it is a part of what happens when we give is it gives us the opportunity to meet real needs. And that's what they were doing there in Jerusalem. In fact, it says uh, that toward the end there, it says in verse 3, that when he arrived, says, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift. So here's what he's saying to the church there. He's saying, I want you to select certain people that you trust that can be your representative, and they're going to take this offering. And he says, I may or may not go with them. He doesn't seem to be sure yet. Uh, but for sure, these, these men will take your offering to the church in Jerusalem. That way they would be able to come back and give a report to the church and you know, kind of talk about uh, what they saw there. Now, for the average person, they would not have the opportunity to see firsthand the impact of, of their generosity on the church there in Jerusalem because it wasn't like they could just FaceTime them you know, and get online and just, just to see, talk to them and see how they're doing. It's not like they could take a little weekend trip, you know, just uh, drive over to Jerusalem for the weekend and see how things are going. They didn't do that kind of thing. And so that's why it was especially important for them to have representatives to go. But they didn't get to see the direct impact of what they were doing. And I'm thinking, you know, that's one of the blessings that we have today. Is that from time to time, we have the opportunity to see in a very direct way how our, our giving and our generosity is impacting people. And the difference that it's making. And I was just thinking about that uh, as, as I was preparing for this message, thinking about our church is an incredibly generous church, and I love that. And I love that our church has a heart for meeting needs. 
and um, is involved in a lot of different things. You know, we're collecting food constantly uh, here. In addition to that, we provide financial support for a lot of different um, ministries, some of them local, some of them international. For example, Feed My Starving Children is an international ministry that we sponsor and help, and that, that provides food and things like what we see here in Acts 16 that provides that all across the world. We're able to do that locally. Through partnership, Amazing Grace Food Pantry, we partner uh, some with Wiley Christian Care Center as well. Both of those do an amazing job of meeting real needs, practical needs in our own community, which I love that. But then there are other ways that we're able to help uh, in other parts of the world. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are, uh, I think it's two widows, just individual specific people, and I personally know one of them uh, in Kenya that, that we support on a regular basis, you know, just through a ministry there that, that provides for some of their widows. Uh, we've been able to partner with a ministry in Dallas called Our Calling that is a wonderful ministry that ministers to the homeless in the Dallas area. You may recall back when the big winter storm hit, there was a big crisis there. The church made a specific donation that covered the cost for an entire day of them being able to rent out the convention center and provide you know, shelter uh, for people. So just things like that. It's really cool to see the very specific types of things. And so far, by the way, just so far this year, we've been able to give over $12,000 just to those organizations and ministries that I just mentioned. So that's been really significant. And then on top of that, as you know, uh, we've made an extra effort, especially over the last few months. Again, the winter storm was kind of what part of what precipitated this, but where we started saying, you know, we're willing to help pay an electric bill if that would help out. If somebody has a unique need and their house got damaged in some way or they need something there. And then we recently uh, said for widows or for single parents, we want to help by providing a month's rent if that would be of assistance. And so uh, just through that alone, uh, that's been another $10,000 just over the last couple of months that we've been able to meet very specific needs of people in our community here and so that's that's been really exciting to see that um, and by the way you know one of the things I think is important to point out is uh, as important as it is for us to give financially that's there are other ways to give we realize that and, and they're very very important in fact we're going to get a, a model of that at the end of our service today we're, we're setting apart ordaining some new deacons today and there are our service body, certainly not, they, they're our lead service body. There are so, so, so many more in our church that serve than just that group. But, um, but that's an exciting thing uh, to, to see people like that, you know, taking the lead in serving. Um, so there, there are lots of examples like that. But I wanted to share with you another story. This is of an individual uh, who has been impacted by generosity and somewhat financial, but even more than that, a relational generosity and investment. Uh, it's a young lady that um, her parents live in another state. They called one day and uh, happened to catch Stephen, who was up here, and he said, you know, normally I wouldn't have gotten that phone call, but it just so happened, I mean, God just worked that out, received the phone call. So somebody that says, our daughter's going through a difficult situation. She was in an abusive relationship. She was trying to get out of that, was relocating here to this area. When they relocated, they saw the church. They thought, we'll call and see uh, long story short, uh, Stephen, Judd were able to go help her kind of move in. Some others since, I know Mark and Lynn have been real involved with that, have since been able to go and, and provide, uh, you know, picking up furniture and getting it delivered and all that. And so making a real significant impact there. But I wanted to share just a, one little snippet of a text that she had sent to us uh, where she said, I'm definitely at my home church, slowly feeling like I belong. Gateway has been my personal gateway. I love the little phrase there, slowly feeling like I belong. 
Because, you see, that, that's really the heart of this. I mean, yes, meeting financial needs is important, and we need to do that. But what that does is it opens the door for somebody to feel loved. It opens the door for somebody maybe coming out of a very difficult situation to know that I can be a part of something, I can be cared for, I can be loved. And, and uh, so I just share that with you to say um, it's encouraging to me to see what you as a church family are doing and how you're having an impact. So uh, all of that begins here with, uh, with the people being generous and uh, with them giving to meet real needs. These are real specific things that they're doing. Here's the second thing uh, that I see in this passage. They gave to, make, to, to meet real needs, but they also gave collectively. Because it says in verse 1, uh, it says, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. This isn't the only church that is involved in this. He's saying, look, there, I want you to participate just like I'm encouraging other churches. And specifically here, he mentions the Galatian church. And I love that because what that says is to me that there is value in us coming together as the people of God to be able to accomplish things that we could not accomplish on our own. There's value in our collective giving. Now, that, that doesn't mean that when you see an individual need that you don't meet that need. Okay, I hope that you have opportunities to do that. I hope that there are ways that you're able to just you know, provide some, some type of generosity to, to individuals. But by and large, the way we go about that to have the greatest impact is by us coming together to pool our resources. And, you know, I think about this. I think about the massive needs in the church in Jerusalem. There is no one individual that could have met that need. It just wouldn't have been possible. Maybe they could meet the needs of a person or maybe even a few people, depending on the wealth that they had. There's no way that one person could meet all the needs of the believers there in Jerusalem. But when multiple churches come together, multiple people come together, and they do this together. But guys, there's just power in that. And I love that. That's why I love the impact of what we're able to do together as a body of Christ. When we pool our resources together, we can do a lot more. We can have a greater impact. Uh, you're able to be a part of stories like I shared a moment ago from an individual that most of you probably don't know and, and may, may not meet. Um, but being a part of something as a group together. Uh, it's, it's a big deal, and it really does help us to be able to do that. And, and, uh, and, and thankfully, you know, we are in a, a situation where we're able to be involved in a lot of things like that. So the, the giving collectively together is important for that reason. There's a practical, functional aspect of that, but there's another part of it. And this is something I really want you to consider that we don't often think about when it comes to our giving. When we give collectively, um, that enables us to spur one another on. It, it adds a mutual accountability aspect to our giving that often isn't there. And let me tell you, one of the things, one of the big mistakes that I think we've made in the body of Christ is privatizing our giving so much that it just becomes completely a private and individual matter. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. And, and I know the reason for that. It comes from what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Let me read you Matthew 6, 1 through 4. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. Now the heart behind that, of course, is there were people that would you know, announce their giving with trumpets and look at me and make a show. We should never do that. That should be completely so uh, far from what our giving should look like. But we have taken that passage, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, and we have made our giving such a private matter that I think we miss out on an opportunity to do what Scripture tells us to do when it says spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Yeah, Think about it from this perspective. Most of us probably have had, or if you don't have this, I would encourage you to get it, people in your life, that are there to encourage you but also hold you accountable. They can ask you questions about how you're doing. We need people like that, right? And it's not unusual for us to have people in our lives that will ask questions like, how's your prayer life? Are you keeping your eyes pure? Are you spending time in Scripture? Are you sharing your faith? Those are the kinds of questions that in an accountability setting, we, it's common for us to ask each other. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had somebody in your life who asked you the question, how's your giving? We don't do it. And the, the real question to me is, why not? Why have we privatized this so much where there are other things that, that are private parts of our life, you know, our, our, that we're willing to open up and we're willing to allow other people to speak into our lives and other people to hold us accountable. But when it comes to our giving, it's like we have just made that such a private issue. And I don't think it should be that way. I think we miss an opportunity. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying <laughs> that when you give to somebody or you do something, you know, to support someone or you give an offering at church that you post about it on Facebook and let everybody know what you've done. Okay. That's not the point. But my point is, shouldn't there be some people in our lives that, that we have a depth of relationship with that we can spur one another on even in this area? It's interesting how we have removed the communal aspect completely to our giving of, as far as is encouraging one another. So they gave um, to meet real needs. They, they did it corporately together. But then here's the third thing I want you to see is that they gave systematically and proportionally. He tells them on the first day of the week to, to give an offering and to let that be in proportion to your income. So two, two parts I want to touch on quick, quickly there, systematically and proportionally. The systematic side to this, he says on the first day of the week, set aside a sum. That's, that's a systematic plan. And there is value in having a systematic plan when it comes to our giving. It's not just a, hey, what do I feel like today? Or, you know, is there a little bit of extra money in the bank account this month more so than last? So no, have a systematic plan. And, and in this case, he says do it every week. Now, the question is, why would he say on the first day of the week to set this aside? Most of us probably know the answer to that, right? The first day of the week, that's when the church gathered for worship. Of course, in the Old Testament, they worshipped on the Sabbath. The Sabbath began Friday night, ran through Saturday night. And that, so Saturday essentially was the Sabbath day, the day that they would gather for worship. But Jesus was raised from the tomb on Sunday, not on Saturday. And so Sunday began to be the day of worship, the day that believers would gather. And really, the day that you gather isn't. What matters so much is the fact that you have a time to gather and worship. But, but that's what the early church did. And so for him to say, set aside the sum of month on the first day of the week, what he's saying is when you come to worship together, let this giving, let this offering be a part of your worship. 
And that is such an important principle for us to grasp is our giving is a part of our worship. It's a part of the way that we worship God. We should connect it to that. If our giving is something other than an expression of our love for God, then our heart's not in the right place. Giving is an expression of worship and love and those kinds of things. So he's instructing them to do that. And, of course, there's a practical side to that, too, because they can give together corporately and, and, and then you know, be able, as we said before, to do more with that. And so that, that was part of it, the systematic part. When you come together, this is what you should do. And then he also says that you do that, it says, in keeping with your income. That's the proportional side here. Giving should be proportional. It's not that everybody is going to give the same, but that it's in proportion to your income. So those who have more are able to give more. Those who have less are able to give less. But the point here is that everybody, notice how he says each of you, everybody's expected to give something. And I believe that's still the case today. Everybody should give. Some are able to give more, some not as much, but everybody should give something. I mean, Jesus, when he, when he gave a model, which this goes back to what I said before of how we want to privatize giving. You don't see that in the New Testament. We see Jesus actually watching a woman give and then saying, here's an example of how you should go about this. He actually made it public. But the person he chose wasn't a rich person. It was a poor widow who gave next to nothing. But what she gave was so valuable because it was all she had. And so it was an expression of her dependence on God. So it's really not about how much you give. It's about the condition of your heart. It's about it being an expression of worship and dependence on God. And so the proportional side to that, um, you know, there is guidance throughout the rest of Scripture. I am not at all a legalist when it comes to tithing, but I believe that that is a great model for us to follow. Of course, tithe means 10%. Uh, in the Old Testament, they would set aside tithes uh, of their, their grain and produce and things like that. That's a whole lot easier to do today, and I think it's just a simple model for us to follow. So if we choose to follow that model, which I think is a great thing for us to do, I don't think it's outdated. I just think we need to be careful about not making it, you know, becoming extremely legalistic about it. Um, but it's a simple thing to do. If you make $1,000 a month, $100 or $1,000, hopefully not a month, $1,000 a week, then... $100 of that, you know, you set aside to give. It's simple, 10%. That's just kind of a systematic way of going about that. But I would also encourage you in this, when it comes to having a systematic and a proportional plan, um, not everybody is there when it comes to tithing, giving of 10%. If you're not there yet, I would encourage you to take steps in that direction. I've said this before. Start somewhere, as we said a moment ago. I mean, if it means you got to start by giving $5 a month, and do that every month and start there. But start somewhere, but have a plan to move forward. Maybe it's 2% this year and 4% next year and 6% the next year or whatever it may be. But there's, there's growth and there's progress happening. And then when you get to a point where you're tithing, giving 10%, don't stop there. You know, this actually, by the way, was, was most likely a, um, a unique offering that they were giving. This was something in addition to uh, their normal thing. And so there are always those opportunities. But, but I love just that, that idea here, I think, it's just on a practical standpoint of being systematic about how we approach that. Uh, and also letting that be in proportion to our, our income. Now, one of the things that has really been on my heart lately, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit to tell you this. Um, 
has been the importance of our church just having a level of uh, transparency and authenticity in, in, in what we do. And I think that's, that's really important uh, for us to do that. And so with that in mind, um, I'll just, if you don't mind, I will share uh, just a little bit of just kind of our personal Uh, how this applies to me personally because sometimes when we are sharing these things um, you know sometimes it's and you've heard me do this before many times it's let me tell you what I've done wrong and where I've messed up and where I'm still growing and and seeking for God to uh, to help me in that area Uh, and then there are other times where it can be just you know here's here's our personal journey and so when it comes to giving I said you know we don't we don't normally talk about that Uh, we're not usually comfortable with that but but here's what that looks like for us, one, it is something that is, that, that is a high value uh, for Sean and I personally. But how do, how do we go about being systematic? How do you go about being proportional? And just some simple tools that, that have been helpful to us, but I'll share also kind of where the struggle comes. Um, personally, I like taking advantage of a, a tool where we can set something up. And I know what my paycheck's going to be every two weeks. Every other Friday, I get paid. And I know what that's going to be. And so I'm able to say, you know, I'm going to set this up where 10% of that just comes out automatically. I, I like that. It, it makes life a little bit easier. It's something that, that, you know, we're able to make sure we're not going to miss something or, you know, that kind of thing. But I'll tell you the flip side of that. Here's where I struggle with it a little bit. And that is that it's not necessarily directly connected to when we come together to worship. And so I, I wrestle with that a little bit. I don't know if that what that means for you, if that is helpful at all uh, in thinking through that. But I don't know that there's necessarily a right or a wrong way to go about this. Uh, I would just encourage you to figure out, you know, what does this look like for me? Uh, what, 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 what is the best way for me to make sure that I'm being consistent in my giving, that I'm being proportional, that I'm moving toward growth in this area and continuing to look for opportunities uh, to be generous? The reason we do that, ultimately, is because of God's generosity toward us. That's really what it boils down to. God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his one and only son. See, all of this, all this talk about, you know, the generosity and the meeting needs of the church in Jerusalem and all those things. All of that, all it is really, is it's just a response to God's generosity toward us. And so I want to encourage you to find ways to grow in your generosity. Some of that is financial, and I would encourage you to to do that. And we ought to be able to talk about that and it not be an awkward thing. We ought to be able to encourage each other and hold each other accountable. But there's more to it than that, for sure. There's way more to living a life of generosity than what we do financially alone. And so... Just ask that question, God, how can I be a giver in all aspects of my life? Because that's who you are to me. And we do that in response to that more than anything else. Let's pray together. Lord, today we're so grateful for your generosity toward us. Lord, you are so good. And we love you so much. Lord, I I pray today that... um, just that you would help us to see the opportunities that are in front of us to meet needs. Some of them we get to see and experience the benefit of and watch you work. And others we won't 
necessarily see directly, Lord, but we want to be a part of your work. We, want to, we just want to join you in what you are doing. So help us today to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.